all of you guys know, we have been dealing with a lot of challenges and a lot of difficulties. And I don't need to get up here and remind you again what they are. We all know what they are. We've been dealing with, you know, the reality of COVID-19 and this worldwide pandemic and all of the challenges that that, that that's sent our way. In the midst of it, though, we also became very acutely aware in our society and in our world of, of this other underlying issue that has been with us for, you know, as long as human beings have been around, there's been racism, there's been prejudice, there's been otherizing other people of saying that, well, hey, you look different than me, you have a different language, you're from a different part of the world, you have a different culture, so therefore I'm going to treat you differently, I'm going to treat you as less than. This is something that has been a part of the world for as long as human beings have been around, but we've become even more acutely aware of it over the last few months. And so, so as a church... We first, you know, we've always talked about issues like this, you know, throughout the years. But after Ahmaud Aubrey was killed down in Georgia, if you remember that, uh, he was the young man who was running down the street and he got gunned down. Uh, that actually happened in February, but it didn't hit the national news cycle until later, until like April, May. Uh, I think it had something to do with like when charges were being brought is when that's when it really hit the national news cycle. And, and so we had a conversation. If you remember, Pastor Charles and I sat in these chairs here and I asked Pastor Charles, you know, as a black man, how does this make you feel? And he very beautifully, you know, just shared how it impacted him personally. And then the next week was when George Floyd was murdered in Minneapolis. And so, as you guys know, that created... Uh, not only a nationwide series of protests, but these protests actually went on worldwide. They were happening all over the world. And so we continued to have other conversations. So, I, so I, we sat down, I sat down on the stage with Pastor Marianne and Spencer Lee, who is uh, a leader here in the church for many years, one of our trustees. And we talked about the experience of being Asian American. And then after that, I sat down with Pastor Grimaldi and I sat down with Ebony de Menendez. And we talked about how this issue affects Latinos uh, in, our, in our society. And what we said at that point, we said, you know, we're praying and asking God to give us wisdom, what we should do next, how we should continue this, just being aware of the fact that, you know, we are one of the most diverse churches in the country. And so with that understanding, what would God have us do? And so God, you know, we, we, we prayed, asking God for wisdom, and then God, I think, began to move and work and form some, some groups of people who were talking about things. And, and so I, I really do believe that the next two weeks are the answer to those prayers, uh, those, the answer to those prayers that we, were, that we were praying. And I hope that you understand why we're doing this, why it's important for us to do it. I could show you a myriad of Bible verses that I think could show that, that this is something that God is up to. This is something we need to care about and be involved in. Uh, one of the ones that has really just kind of struck me, especially the last few months, is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 to 6. And that says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. And so that, that phrase, make every effort, it really just strikes me. That we as individuals and we are as a church in this moment, in this season that we're in, we are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Because if you notice in this passage, there's a lot of ones, right? There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. There's a lot of ones. 
But what we're seeing in our society right now is there aren't a lot of ones going on. But the church is called to live out the ones. And so we make every effort to preserve the unity in spite of the fact that there's so much labeling that's going on. There's so much scapegoating that's going on. There's so much division that's happening. We are called to make every effort. And Jesus put it this way in Matthew 12, 25. He said, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. And so when we look at our world right now, and we see so much division, so much, you know, people kind of scapegoating and, and saying, you're the enemy, you're the other. I have an expression, it's kind of an old-time expression. I find that I use it a lot, you know, whenever kind of facing anything challenging. If you want to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs, right? And so we're seeing right now in our society, we're seeing a lot of eggs that have been broken. And what Jesus is warning us, what he's telling us, is that if we don't make the omelet, we're in trouble. Right? I mean, just as a nation, if we don't kind of figure out as a nation how there can be healing, how there can be reconciliation, a nation divided, a household divided cannot stand. And, and so we pray for our nation, we pray for healing, we pray for reconciliation, we pray for justice. But for us here as the church, for the North Jersey Vineyard Church, I've, you know, we've been leaning in and saying, God, what is it that you're calling us to do? As we make every effort to preserve our unity, because I think that what God wants to do is that as eggs have been broken and people are trying to make an omelet, but it's a runny omelet. It's, I don't know, the omelet's not looking very good these days. God is calling his church, I think, to lead the way. That God is saying to his church, I want to do a work through you. I want to, I'm at work, and what I can do during this season, during this painful time where there's painful questions and all that's going on, I can strengthen the ones in the church and then in the world through the church that we make every effort because we our message is that, you know what, if we want to see the omelet, if we want to see what the Bible calls is the dividing wall of hostility coming down, the reality is, is lots of people can identify the problem, but the solution of this problem that has gone on for as long as humanity has been around is for the kingdom of God to break in, Jesus Christ to be lifted up, and the church to make every effort to preserve the ones through the unity of the Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what God is calling us to do. And, uh, you know, Jesus prayed for us that we would be able to do this. You know, Jesus actually specifically prayed for the North Jersey Vineyard Church that we would be able to do this. And you would say, I, I don't remember reading about Jesus praying for the North Jersey Vineyard Church. But in John chapter 17, in what's known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus, the prayer that Jesus prayed before he went to the cross, he said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So there you go. That's where Jesus prayed for the, he prayed for others too, but we're included in that. He prayed for us that all of them may be one. Father, just as you were in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you see the significance of our oneness? That the world may see that Jesus is who he says he is. That the world may see that Jesus was sent by, from the Father. That Jesus is the hope of the world. That the kingdom come, God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven, is what we're looking to see happen. And then he says, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. 
Now listen, I know that I'm talking to people here in this room and through the live stream. Man, you're hungry for the glory of God. You want to see the glory of God come down. You want to see people talk about the glory cloud that was in the Old Testament. Lord, show us your glory. We want to see the glory of God. What does the glory of God lead to? Jesus tells us. Uh, he says, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And so what is the motivation for doing this? Are we doing this, you know, because, well, it's trendy, because, well, it's a hot topic, well, because, no, we want to see the glory of God. We want to see the glory of God poured out in this house. We want to see the glory of God poured out in this church. And the result of the glory of God being poured out is oneness, is unity, is deep reconciliation and love. And so what this is about, the next two weeks and whatever else it's going to lead to after that, is we want to see God glorified. We want to see him lifted up. We want people to know that the intractable problems that society and politicians and culture try to deal with, that the answer ultimately is found in Jesus Christ. That the, all, the answer is ultimately found in God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven, the kingdom of God breaking in. And so how do we move forward? How do we move forward so that we can see the glory of God and we can see the unity and we can see Jesus high and lifted up? And so if you're aware of my normal kind of preaching style, as you can imagine, I've got three points. I've got three ways that we can move forward. If you have your app, you can go ahead and open up the part of the sermon notes and all the Bible verses are there and fill in the blanks. So there are three things that we need to be aware of. And the first is we need to remember that we have one enemy. We need to remember that we have one enemy. Listen, right now, there are a lot of different groups, a lot of different divisions, a lot of people who are pointing to other people and saying, you're my enemy, this is my enemy, this group is my enemy. We need to remember that behind all the division, all the hurt, all the racism, all the injustice, all of the oppression is one enemy. And Jesus tells us the mission statement of that one enemy in John 10.10, 10, the thief. Satan comes to steal, he comes to kill, he comes to destroy. And so what the Bible is very clear in teaching us is that there is a spiritual war that is going on all around us. If you want to understand the world that you live in, you need to understand that we're in the midst of a spiritual battle. That there are unseen spiritual forces that are seeking to, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Ephesians 6.12 says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our ultimate struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. One of the things the Bible teaches us is that the kingdom of Satan is a hierarchical kingdom. Right? There's different levels. I mean, you've got Satan, you've got powers, you've got authority, you've got rulers, and then I guess you've got the, like, the low-end demons, you know, and there's this, like, this hierarchical structure. And I got to tell you, when you look at how much thievery, destruction, and killing has happened over this issue of racism, not just in our history, but when you look historically through the world, this thing where people have said, you look different than me. 
You, you, are, you, you have a different language. You have a different culture. Your skin is a different color. You, you know, behave in a different way. So therefore, you are my enemy. Therefore, you are the other. That has caused more harm and destruction and evil than anything else that I can think of. Right? I mean, we could give all sorts of examples all throughout history. So every... You know, so many of the wars had that behind it. So many of the, of the systems of slavery and Jim Crow and lynchings and, you know, all, so many different ways that this has been manifested that I think that Satan took his most powerful principality of power and said, hey, you get a team together and you deal with this because if we want to rob, kill, and destroy, this is what we're going to lead with because this will do it more than anything. So we need to understand that we have one enemy. And listen, if you have experienced, as I know so many of you have, racism and injustice and oppression, that was through a human being. It was through a human being who was treating you badly. But you need to recognize that behind that human being is our real enemy. It's Satan and his kingdom. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And listen, there's all sorts of ways that we can try to remedy it. And I'm saying there's a place for, you know, for changing laws. There's a place for politics. But ultimately, the, the struggle that we are engaged in is a spiritual struggle. And I don't have this verse, but 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 6 says, Though we live in the world, we do not wage war the way the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. And yes, there's a place for these other weapons. But our weapons are different weapons. The, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Jesus Christ. And so we understand that we have one enemy. We understand that it is a spiritual battle and we seek to tear down strongholds. We seek to bind the power of the enemy knowing what's ultimately behind the struggle. The second thing is we strive for one heart. We strive for one heart. Listen, as we try to move into this unity, a greater expression of this unity, we don't have to look alike, we don't have to act alike, we don't have to, we don't have to even think alike, vote alike, whatever alike, but as followers of Jesus, we need to be united with one heart. Now, Norma and I, we have in June of next year, we got a big milestone coming up. We've got our, our 30th year wedding anniversary. Yeah, that's a long time. God bless Norma. She is a saint of God because she's still standing 30 years later. Now, Norma and I, you know what? I got to say, we have preserved our unity by God's grace. We've seen it deepen as we approach this big milestone. But Norma and I are really different. Like, we're really, if you know her, you know, we're really different. Now, I said a couple of weeks ago that when you're kind of courting and dating, opposites, opposites attract. But as you get into a marriage, you find out that oftentimes opposites attack, right? And so, so everybody's got to work through that stuff. So we, we're different in a lot of ways. One of the ways that we're different is Norma's, a, Norma's really into making the bed. Like, she thinks that, like, first thing in the morning, you got to make the bed. Me, not so much. Now, the reason is because I, listen, my thinking has to do with kind of economy of labor. Because if we make the bed, we're just going to come back in at night and we're going to unmake it. And probably nobody's going to be in the room between the time we get out of the bed and we get into the bed. And so, so I'm kind of coming around to her way of thinking a little bit. Out of love, I'm making every effort to preserve the unity. Last week, literally straight up, Norma very carefully made her side of the bed and left mine completely undone. And so, and so I'm like, I'm not the 
smartest guy in the world, but I think she's trying to tell me something through this. I think, so I, I made my side of it. Didn't look as nice as hers. Like she had the pillows and everything, but I, I, I did what I could. Um, in some significant ways, we're different. Norma is a rule follower. Like she's from the time she was little. It's like if there's a rule, you've got to obey the rule. Me, not so much. The way that I've always been is like, well, it's a rule, but you've got to convince me this rule makes sense. And if this rule doesn't make sense, I'm not going to do it because that doesn't make any sense. You know, Norma is someone who, she's someone who uh, likes to have everything ordered and organized and lists and all that. I'm, I'm comfortable kind of winging it, kind of, you know, making it up as I go. So we're different, but we have unity, deepening unity, because we love and value the same things. Because we love and value Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is in the center of not only our lives, he's the center of our relationship. We love and value our children. We sacrifice for our children. We cry for our children. We pray for our children. We love our children. We, we love and value our relationship. We're in this kind of interesting season in our life where for some part of the year we'll be empty nesters and then like this week we got kids coming home and some are going to stay for a few weeks and you know some even a few months. So we go back and forth from empty nesters to having the kids home. And so we've been, one of the things, the rhythm that we've gotten during this empty nest season that we find ourselves in is every night after dinner we take our dog Teddy for a walk. Now, Teddy loves it. I mean, Teddy's, he's, you know, they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but you can because now when dinner's done, we get up from the table. Teddy's like, all right, come on, let's go, let's go. I'm ready. Let's do a walk. Stuff to smell. Let's get out there. And, uh, and so we do, but it's really good because it gives us an opportunity to talk about our day and to unpack and to do that. And so, and so we value, so, we, so we've been able to see this deepening unity. Something else that we love and value is this church. We love and value this church and we sacrifice for this church and we love and value what God is doing here. So when we think about unity and oneness across racial and ethnic differences, unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. We're different and we can celebrate those differences. That's why I love our cultural celebration dinners. I can't wait until the COVID restrictions lift and we're able to do that again because that is that we're celebrating that, hey, we, we're, we've got, you know, uh, the last one that we did, I think we, we realized we have 75 different nations represented in this church. And so we celebrate the differences. We celebrate the differences through food. And so you go into the lobby and you can, you know, you can start off in the Africa section and eat some incredible food and then move on to the Asian section and the European section and, you you know, maybe there's some bratwurst or something from Germany and then into South America and into Central America. It's kind of a letdown when you get to the U.S. because that's what, like hot dogs and popcorn? I don't know what we, what we have. But, but we celebrate that and it's beautiful. It's wonderful. We celebrate different styles of dress. People will wear traditional clothing from their country of origin and it's just beautiful. We celebrate different artistic expressions. You see, we don't have to look alike or be alike but we have to love alike. That's what God's calling us to do. We have to love alike. You guys, help me out a little bit. Let me know that you're out here, okay? Help me, help me preach this morning. Acts 4.32, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. They were one in heart and mind. Now listen, there were racial and cultural differences in the early church. Some were Jewish, some were Greek, some were, you know, you had different languages that were spoken. You had Aramaic, you had Greek, you had Latin. But, but they were able to be one heart and one mind. So how do we become one in heart? 
How do we as the North Jersey become one in heart? The first thing that we got to focus on is that we realize that together we learn. Together we learn. We have a unique and wonderful opportunity here in our church where we can listen to one another. Where we can listen and say, hey, tell me what your experience is. I've done this thing over the last few months where I've gone to a lot of my, my, my black brothers and sisters, my Asian brothers and sisters, my Latino brothers and sisters, others, and I've just simply said, tell me what I don't understand. Tell me what I need to know. Because listen, you guys, I'm, I'm part of, in the United States, what would be considered the dominant culture. And so tell me what I don't understand, what it's like living as a minority in this country. And then I just listen. And then I just listen. And I just want to hear, tell me your story. Tell me your experience. Tell me what it is that I don't understand. And so what we're hoping to have happen in the next couple of weeks is that we're going to have lots of these conversations going on. That we're going to get these conversations off of the stage and into our life groups so that we can really, we can listen to one another. And so I'm asking you to do the same thing. Someone who is different from you, someone who has a different experience, just simply say, tell me your story. Tell me what it is I don't know. And let's let James 1.19 drive us as we go forward because it says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak. We got a lot of fast talkers in our society right now. I don't know if you've noticed that. But we've got a lot of people who want to say, here's how you should think about it. Here's, what, here's my response. Here's what I think. Here's what Rachel Maddow said. Here's what Sean Hannity said. None of that's going to be helpful in this next season. Let's listen. Let's listen. Let's be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. If something that you hear is like, well, I don't think they should think that way. Just keep Keep it to yourself. Just listen to what the other person is saying. Watch those elements, those parts of you that rise up to, to become defensive or rise up to try to explain. So together we learn and together we lament. Together we lament. This is so important because it's not, it's not just that we learn something. We also need to feel something. It's not just, you know, realizing, oh, okay, well, that's something I wasn't aware of. Now I know that. No, we need to feel it, right? If these are our brothers and sisters whom we love, we've got to kind of take it in. And so one of the things that in these conversations that I've been having, I have heard from black mothers here in our church who have told me that when you take Philando Castile or Ahmaud Arbery or George Floyd, these young black men who have been killed, that I've had black mothers in our, in our church say that they were weeping. It made them weep. For their sons. Because they were afraid of what could happen to, to my son as he moves out into this world. I have talked to some of my Latino brothers and sisters. And what they've shared with me from like deep places of just this fear that rises up when there's talk about separating families at the border. And I'm not talking about immigration policy or anything like that. What I'm talking about is brothers and sisters who hear that and have this fear. It's like, what if that can happen to me? What if my family gets separated? Even people who, who are here, you know, who have documentation. I have this like, almost like primal fear. What if that can happen to me? 
I've talked to Asian brothers and sisters who they've all said this is, you know, seems to be just part of the experience of our Asian brothers and sisters living here in the U.S. How painful it is to feel like you're not seen, to feel like you're not seen, to feel like your voice isn't heard. And that kind of gets reflected in a, in a myriad of ways. And so when we're in those moments, we don't need to say anything. We need to feel something. We need to sit in that space with people that we love, and we've just got to lament with them. Now, this is something that I've learned doing a lot of funerals through the years. Because what I've realized is I've been in that situation, and I'm often in a very unique situation as a pastor, coming into a really, really painful situation, especially when it's a shock, when it's a death that wasn't expected, where it's a child or it's something that was just out of the blue. In those moments... People for me don't need an explanation because there isn't an answer that's going to deal with the pain. What people need is for me to lament with them, for me to sit with them in their grief, for me to pray with them in their grief, for me to love them in their grief. That's what God calls us to do. And so I hope that we can, as we move into this, that we can move into a a period of of lamenting. We don't need to answer first. We need to feel first. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Listen, it's not enough that we know each other's burdens. We need to carry each other's burdens. We need to let it into our heart. And when you lament, when you grieve, when you feel, that's when we are carrying each other's burdens and in this way we are fulfilling the law of Christ and it's a process it's a process that God is calling us to and I think that the next two weeks can be really important steps in us moving forward in everything that God has for us and then and then together we love so together we learn together we lament together we love first Corinthians 13 is the great love chapter verse 7 says this love always protects always trusts always hopes, always perseveres. And this is where I'm hoping that we can deepen our unity, where we can arrive at together, that we can arrive at a place, one heart, that we truly love each other, that we trust each other, that we want to protect each other, that we help each other process, that we help each other persevere. And so as we go through this process of learning and lamenting, that it would lead to a place of love, a place of trust, repentance where necessary, forgiveness where necessary, healing where necessary, that we could move to a place at the North Jersey Vineyard That no matter what your cultural background is, what your experience is, what language you speak in your home, that you would know that you know that you know that at your church, with your brothers and sisters, those who are part of your church family, they have your back. They know you. They love you. They listen to you. They lament with you. They have your back. That's where God wants to lead us. And Jesus said this in John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so we know that we have one enemy. We strive to have one heart. And we maintain one purpose. We maintain one purpose. And you guys know what our purpose is here at the church. One of the ways that we talk about our purpose is we say we are to know God, find freedom, discover our purpose, make a difference in this world. And so together, we know God. We know the Father. 
We're connected to the Father, and that helps us understand in a, in a, in a greater reality that, that we're surrounded by brothers and sisters who are part of the family of God, who will be part of our family forever and ever and ever. So we come from that place. We reject that notion, the notion of racism that looks at someone who's a different color, a different experience, different language, different whatever, and, and we deny that they're made in the image of God, that we treat them differently. We say, no, not only are you made in the image of God with unsurpassable worth, you are my brother, you are my sister. We are connected to the same God who we know and who we love. And then we find freedom. Right, we find freedom, which as we walk with Jesus, that the chains come off, right? The, the hang-ups and the hurts and the sins that bound us. And I'm hoping that over the next two weeks going forward, that maybe you're going to have some of the shackles come off. Maybe you will realize that there's ways you've thought about issues of race and different cultures that you learned at your, your dinner table growing up. And your parents learned it from their parents' dinner table growing up. And you'll say, you know what? I think this is holding me back. I need freedom in this area. I'm hoping that maybe many of you who have been hurt by the dominant culture, who have experienced racism, have experienced oppression, have experienced belittling, that if there's someone in your small group who is of that dominant culture, but they're listening to you, they're lamenting with you, they're loving you, that maybe that will be healing. Maybe that will be something that will help the chains come off, right? We discover our purpose. The whole thing of this, what on earth am I here for, is that we would discover our purpose. And what I want to say, as clear as I can possibly say it, one of the big purposes of the North Jersey Vineyard is that we show that God is gathering a people of every language, every tribe, every nation, and we worship Jesus together. And we understand that is part of the calling on this house, on this church. And together, we make a difference in the world. We make a difference in the world. Ephesians 2.10 says this. I'm going to read it in the message because I like the way it says it. God creates each of us by Jesus Christ to join him in the work he does, the good work he's gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. See, God is up to something. God is moving. God is working. And we know that the enemy is also at work. We know that through this season and through this time, and I can even begin to see his plan kind of working out, that there'd be greater division, greater distrust, greater animosity. But, but in the midst of all of this, God is at work. And I believe that in the North Jersey Vineyard Church, that this could be a season of deeper unity, deeper love, deeper oneness, deeper commitment to one another because God is up to something and this is work we had better start doing. It says this in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 4 to 5. If you want to know what God is up to, here's what God is up to. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. What that means is God is in the business of lifting up the oppressed. That's what he does. That's what he's committed to. That those who are in a valley, God says, I am going to lift you up. You will be exalted. And every mountain and every hill, those who have hardness of heart, those who preserve power structures that diminish and demean, God says, I'm going to bring you down. I'm going to expose you. I'm going to reveal this injustice. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. I believe that God is doing a work, that what God is up to is the crooked paths of racism and injustice and oppression and hatred, that God is at work to make those crooked paths straight. And I want to believe and I want to hope 
hope that maybe somehow things can be different if the church will take its role, if the church will lead the way forward because it says the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And so the church is where the people, not the building, but the church is where the glory of God rests. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's where the glory comes. And so that the glory of God will be revealed in his church, which Jesus told us leads to unity, leads to oneness, leads to us living out those ones. And I love it says, all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I believe that God is at work. And I've heard people speculate, some Christian leaders speculate about the timing of everything. In interesting ways, and I'm not saying this for sure, but maybe God has orchestrated things and allowed the timing. Because, you know, we were coming, we were in this quarantine. And the word quarantine, it comes from the word 40. Quora means 40. And so a quarantine was 40 days. The way that they would deal with plagues and whatnot is everybody be quarantined 40 days in your house and then maybe we'll be able to mitigate this disease. But we also know that 40 in the Bible is a very significant number. Right? The Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years. The, Jesus was tempted in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. So maybe God was trying to get his church ready. And what God does in those 40 days is he purifies and he strengthens and he, he, he deals with our issues, with our stuff, so we can be ready for what God has for us next. And so I've heard other people speculate too, because George Floyd, when he was murdered, it was during Pentecost week. It was during the week that we celebrate the Holy Spirit being poured out. So what if God is saying something here? What if God is saying to his church, hey, listen, you've come through this time of testing where fears have been revealed, where you've had to learn how to trust me in a new way, where things have been stripped away, things that always happen in the desert, in the 40 years or the 40 days in the desert, so that we as a church can rise up in the power of the Holy Spirit and we can say God is making the crooked path straight. God is exposing the proud. God is lifting up the humble. The glory of the Lord is going to be poured out in his church in a new way and all flesh will see it. That we would realize that this effort, make every effort to preserve the unity is a work that God is doing and that he's calling us to be a part of it so that Jesus could be high and lifted up and so the world as they deal with these problems and they deal with these issues and they break the eggs but they can't make the omelet that Jesus through the church will say the only way that the dividing wall of hostility can come down is not by might not by power but by my spirit through the church says the Lord see that's what God is calling us to that's the big picture of I think what God is up to that we would see God lifted up that we would see justice the you know the language of Isaiah that justice would flow through the city like a river and that we would say God start with us start with us and Lord may we reveal your kingdom now you know there's a I'll finish with this. I'm old enough to remember when the Berlin Wall came down. All right, the Berlin Wall came down in 1989. I was 23 years old. Some of you are too young to remember that, but you know it is something that happened in history. The, the history of the Berlin Wall was, you know, after World War II, uh, you had 
the Soviet Union basically take half of Germany, and that became East Germany, and that became part of the Soviet communist system. And then the Western half of Germany was, was a free democracy connected to Europe, connected to the United States. And so you had, for many years, East Germans wanting to escape into West Germany. So, so like tens of thousands of East Germans went into West Germany. Now, the city of Berlin, the capital city of Berlin was split in two. One half was East Germany, the other half was West Germany. It was East Berlin, West Berlin. And so in 1961, the East Germans built a wall, massive wall, over 100 miles long, went right through Berlin. And they put guard towers on that wall. And, and during 1961 to 1989, uh, they estimate that over 100,000 people tried to escape from East Germany into West Germany. And many of them got shot uh, for their effort. You know, because the guard towers would be there and they would shoot people who were trying to cross over. Well, in 1989, stuff started to happen. There was, you know, a movement that happened in many Eastern Bloc countries, many communist countries like Poland and Czechoslovakia, where there was freedom kind of ringing in the streets, and communism was beginning to fall, it was beginning to crumble. And so in 1989, recognizing everything that was going on, the East German government passed a new law that says it's no longer illegal for you to go into West Germany. And so when that was passed, thousands, especially young people, young East Germans went into West Germany and they were met by thousands of young West Germans and they partied, they celebrated, they were finally together as a country, but that wall was still there. And so they're partying and they're celebrating at the, in the base of the wall. And then one day, one young guy decided to go home and get a pickaxe. And so what he did is he took his pickaxe and he started chopping at that wall. Go ahead and show that picture. I think, I don't know if this is actually the guy who did it or not, but, but he's chopping at that wall. And then other people got this idea and they went home and they got their pickaxes. And so then you had thousands of people chopping at this wall with their pickaxe. And because of thousands of people doing this, eventually then, you know, in 1990, the wall came down completely. Because, you know, one person with their pickaxe wasn't going to bring this 100 mile plus wall down. And I think that what God is saying to us right now is God is saying, I want you to do your part to see this wall come down. And I am not saying that the North Jersey Vineyard Church can reverse thousands of years of racism and prejudice. But what I am saying, and what I just feel the Lord on, not only me, but all of us, I'm going to get my pickaxe and I'm going to do my part to see that wall come down. And I'm asking you to get your pickaxe and for you to do your part. And you know what? Together, we're not going to bring the wall down, but God is calling us to bring our part of the wall down. And then maybe as God is moving and working through his people all over the world, maybe we can see this wall come down. And maybe we can see God beginning to bind this power and this authority that has created so much hatred and animosity and suffering and oppression in this world. Maybe we will see some of these strongholds finally be demolished, but we will understand God is calling us to do our part, and we will do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit, making every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit, recognizing and understanding that we have one enemy, this, 
this struggle is ultimately spiritual. This struggle ultimately is about seeing the kingdom of God break into the earth. That we strive to maintain one heart. That we learn from one another. That we lament with one another. Leading us to a place of greater love for one another. And that we remain committed as the people of God. God's sons and daughters. We have one purpose. We want to see Jesus high and lifted up because King Jesus is the one who tears down every wall. King Jesus is the one who, who brings healing to the nations. King Jesus is the one who restores. He is the one who lifts up the humbled. He is the one who casts down the proud. And we would say, King Jesus, we want to see you high and lifted up. And if we discover, King Jesus, that that wall runs through our heart, Lord, take the pickaxe to our heart. Because we want to see your kingdom come so that your glory would cover the earth. That's what this is about. That's what we're hoping to see God do. I'm excited about what well, this is not the end of it. It's another step of what we're going, where we're going to be going. But I believe that this could be very significant, not only for our church, but for everything that God wants to do in and through our church for his glory. Lord, I thank you, God. I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, that in your wisdom, God, you have assembled a diverse group, every tribe, every language, every nation. And God, I pray that together we would lift you high. Lord, I pray that this would be a time of healing, a time of, of lamenting, a time of forgiveness, of reconciliation, of, Lord, truly having each other's back is the family of God that's going to go on for all of eternity. And Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name, just as you prayed, Lord Jesus, that as the world looks on, all flesh will see it. God, we pray that somehow the efforts of our church and the efforts of other churches and God, just you're, you working through your people on the earth. Lord, we pray that people would understand that the Father sent you. And Lord, you are the hope of the world. That you would be lifted high. That you would be glorified. And that in a new and fresh way, your glory would flow in our church so that our oneness would be deepened. Lord, that you would be lifted high. And we ask this, Lord, just in complete and total dependence upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going we're gonna to close the service, and uh, we've got a prayer ministry team that's ready to pray for you in a safe, socially distanced way. And so if you want prayer for anything going on in your life, if you're a life group leader, I'd love to be able to pray for you right now that God will equip you and enable you for the next couple of weeks. If this is something that just speaks to you, just feeling that call to, uh, you know, I just love the way that God has been, so often when God is doing something, he starts with the youth. And I just love the way that, that so many young people have been expressing God's heart and God's justice and would love to pray for you. Uh, if you, you know, if, if you, you are uh, just continuing to experiencing, you know, the, the kind of the ravages of what is the second wave of coronavirus and if the stress and anxiety and all of it is really gripping you, we'd love to pray for you. Whatever your needs are, get some uh, safe, socially distanced prayer, masked up prayer. They won't lay hands on you, but they'll extend a hand towards you. And uh, whatever, whatever your needs are, we want to pray for you this morning. God bless you guys. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, if we don't see you on Wednesday night, have a wonderful Thanksgiving.